Boy, it's good to be back. <laughs> Miss that kind of worship. Um, I had a lot of good worship, but that's good worship. Um, Brian, I'm not sure where he's at. He's usually over here. I think he changed his seating address. He's over there. Everybody pointed that way. They knew where you're at. I love it. You changed up your address. That's good. Uh, always does a fantastic job. Brian, thank you for filling the pulpit the last two Sundays. You preached on God's Word uh, on something that I've read through. It's like, man, this is good stuff. I ought to preach it sometime, but people think I'd be scolding them. So thank you for doing it for me. Um, seriously, it was, it was really good. I always appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your... Uh, and one, one more thing. He's a little hard on himself when he preaches. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He's like, oh, when the cat's away, the mice will play. You don't have to show up next if you don't want to because I'm preaching. It's like, really? I will be showing up because you're preaching. Um, And so don't beat yourself up, up, brother. You do a good job sharing God's word. Um, I, too, appreciate your prayers and support during my absence. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, you're like, absence, what was wrong? You know, what's going on? Well, for those of you that didn't know or didn't read the email, I was on a 10-day sabbatical. Okay, a typical sabbatical lasts around 30 days or longer. Um, I thought one week, Jenny said two weeks. We compromised. It took 10 days. Um, And and understand this for sabbaticals, for pastors and those in ministry. um, It's a part of spiritual renewal and development. It's it's an usual thing they do, I guess. I've been in ministry 30 years and I've never taken a sabbatical. I've taken vacation, but not a sabbatical. And some of you are like, well, well, aren't they the same thing? So let me help you understand what a sabbatical is so you sort of have a better understanding of where I was, what took place, and uh, hopefully what you'll see of me in the next, uh, next few years or more. Um, so what is a sabbatical? It's not a vacation. It's not a leave of absence. It's not a midlife crisis, okay? That happened years ago. Um, so uh, it's time away from the normal routine and work of life. Um, it's to find rest, it's to refocus, it's spiritual renewal. So basically during this time, there's three things that took place. There was a pursuit of God, there was a planned rest, and there was meaningful activity. Uh, everybody does something different. They write a book, they go bike riding, they, they hike, they do whatever. For me, I, I put my three main things, which was journaling, reading, and, and hiking. Uh, those are my three, not in that necessary order, but... We understand this. In any organization and even in any ministry, especially a church, you will only go as deep uh, or as close to the Lord as your leaders are. And so I look at myself and say, at what level am I growing spiritually? Because if I'm not growing spiritually, you probably won't. Um, Am I taking care of myself physically, spiritually, emotionally? So for me, that's what this was about. For me personally, it was challenging, okay, because I had to leave some things behind. First and foremost, I'm leaving my family behind. I'm leaving my wife behind. Everybody's like, oh, you went on vacation. If I was going on vacation, I'd be taking the family, okay? Um, So I had to leave them behind. And then I have to leave work behind and responsibility behind. And, uh, And for me, that's hard. See, it's like, in my mind, it's like, I can't afford to be gone, Right? But here's the problem. If I burn myself out, I can't afford not to be gone. And it's important to understand that. So the, the, the focus for me was really solitude. If you want to sum it up in one word, solitude. Get alone. Get away. Get quiet. I mean, everything for the most part, besides a couple certain days, it was that. Driving by myself, eating by myself, hiking by myself, walking by myself, talking by myself. I mean, everything was solitude, okay? Okay. Um, 
separation from the demands of work and technology and everything that's going on around me, that was going to be probably one of the toughest challenges because I am a red dot person when it comes to my phone. You understand what that is? Let me help you out if you look at this. So whenever your phone pops up, you see all those red dots? Those are called notifications. Somebody's left you a message. Somebody wants you to know about something. There's an update in your life. There's, you better respond to this now. There's a red dot, right? So I don't know why I'm this way, but I understand how I'm wired. And I'm wired to look at my phone, see that, and like, oh, I better click on it and see who's trying to get a hold of me. See what I'm supposed to update. Everybody following me this? Some of you are like this, okay? And I, and I get it, and you get it, right? So I have to click on it, get rid of the red dots, okay? So separation from all that would be very challenging for me. Then I realized, put your phone on do not disturb, put all my emails so that when anybody emailed me, they would get a reply back saying, I won't be talking to you for a couple weeks. Be patient with me and so forth and so on, right? And then I turned off, I figured out, you can turn off notifications, right? Yeah, some of you like, duh, right? So that was a process, and I needed that. Because here's the thing, on my first hike, the first, the first day is like, okay, let's get this first hike in. Let's start acclimating my body to what I'm going to be doing and my, my, my mind, my soul. Uh, it was all about disengaging, getting acclimated to what was going on. Ten days, ten trails is what my goal was. And as soon as I came off that first trail, off the first hike, which was refreshing and exhausting at the same time, I was like, I need to go get groceries and supplies. I've, I've had two surgeries this past year uh, to remove skin cancer, and I forgot to take sunscreen. Are you kidding me? I got my bucket hat. Okay, I had my bucket hat. Uh, but so, you know, go get that. Go get food. Go get water. Make sure I got all my supplies. So as I get in my, my vehicle to go get supplies, first thing is I'm pulling out of my, my trail parking lot. There's a car behind me. I mean, right on my bumper. A tailgater, we would call them, right? Somebody who basically says, in case you can't see me, I'm going to get really close to you. And by the way, I might just pass you so that at the next stop sign or step light, I'm 20 feet in front of you. Ha <laughs> ha. Right? That's the tailgater. Okay. Sometimes that could be me. But anyway, I like take a deep breath. I'm like, ah, I'm on sabbatical. It's okay. Because at, at first I'm thinking, it's speed limit's 35. Maybe I'll go 36, 37, maybe I'll go 38 or 39, just so that this guy gets off my tail. And I'm like, no, I'm on sabbatical. Boom, 35, brother. Go ahead and pass me. Feel free. Uh, Go go ahead. Or if you want to just hit my rear bumper, you go for it, because I'm driving a rental. Okay? It doesn't matter, right? So (laughs) I got to the airport, and they were like, is your midsize car, my midsize car ready? Like, oh, we don't have any more. Sorry. Oh, you want to drive a van? It's like, why not? Soccer mom, here I am. So... um, (laughs) So I, I went into the store, got my supplies, and as I'm coming out, I see a couple of policemen standing right outside the window and thinking, okay, either I'm lonely already or I want to start talking to people. It's like, hey, maybe I'll go greet the guys and tell them thank you for serving and offer them a cup of coffee. Nah, it's the middle of the afternoon. It's probably hot and they're working. And so this is all going through my mind. And so I'm pushing my cart out, and, and they start to come in. I'm thinking, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going to start to... And before I could say hi and how you doing, they're like, excuse me. They're like... And before I could say hello... They're like, excuse me, just a second. I'm like, huh? And they're talking to the guy right behind me. I'm like, oh, oh. And the next thing I know, there was a, um, a little scuffle, a little resisting arrest, a taser involved, I think, a takedown. Um, and I'm just like, just keep pushing the car, brother. Just keep pushing the car. And I see this lady pulling by. She's like, wow. And I'm like, no. Um, people are coming with their phones like, hey, check out what they're doing, this guy, you know, and, I'm thinking right away, it was at that point, that moment in time, after the tailgater and the takedown, I was like, 
I need this. <laughs> I need separation from the world. I, I need to, uh, to get out there. So uh, that rest and that pursuit began at that moment. And then I started asking myself, where do I begin? And, and I thought, you know, thinking through Scripture, uh, what, is, what biblical characters went out into the wilderness to seek solitude? Uh, maybe I start studying Scripture and going through that. Like Moses, like Moses, man, he went out into the wilderness. Remember he came across the burning bush? He didn't come across it. He saw it and he was like, there's the burning bush. And, and I'm thinking, and as, as I hiked, I literally prayed this. I said, God, am I supposed to see a burning bush? Am I going to hear your voice? Is there going to be like a, Rex, take off your hiking boots, you're on holy ground moment? You know, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. But what I discovered was, it wasn't a Moses moment. I had a different moment in my hikes. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, this is where you're going to... Um, I'm not going to go through this in great detail because I've preached on this before, but this will help you understand the moment I had uh, with God. In Matthew chapter 4, right before this took place, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And you can imagine that was a wow moment, right? John the Baptist is baptizing people, and then Jesus comes walking in the water, and he's like, hey, John. He's like, Jesus? (laughs) Yeah. You ready to baptize me? No. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. You need to baptize me, John. Okay, and he baptizes Jesus. And as he's being baptized, Scripture says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. So Jesus now baptized full of the Holy Spirit. What does Scripture say happens next? Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What a wilderness moment, huh? Verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, pause for a second. You might want to underline that because this is what the devil does. He's always trying to make us doubt, attack the mind. If you're the son of God, you know, Jesus, if you're the son of God, what do you mean if he is? Oh, but Satan's like, no, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 6, and said, if you're the son of God, oh, there it is again, a little doubt out there, right? Jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels and protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Verse 8. Next, the devil took him to a peak on a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world and and their glory. He says, I'll give this all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, see, three times he did that. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came to him. In that moment when, when Satan came in, Jesus quickly replied with what? For the scriptures say, let me give you the word. Let me give you truth, right? Because here's what's going on. The first opposition that Jesus faced was not political. was not the religious leaders. It wasn't opposition from other people. The first opposition that Jesus faced was when God's spirit led him into the wilderness. And Satan came. Not as a predator, 
not as an attacker, but as a negotiator. He knew the power of Jesus. He's not dumb. He knew better than to test that power of Jesus. So he came to strike a deal. Think about it. As Christians, we have God's spirit in us, right? We know that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. And in that moment, God gives us his spirit. We are saved, right? So we have God's spirit in us. We are victorious. We are the winners. And Satan knows it. Do you know that? He already knows where you stand. So if he can just negotiate with you, start getting you to doubt things, cause you to question things, fear certain things, He'll negotiate with you until you're defeated, until you change your mind, right? So Satan, this accuser, this liar, this tempter, this negotiator, talks to us, and he he whispers options, right? Listen, he knows he is not God, okay? He's not everywhere. He does not know everything. Okay, understand, he's not all-powerful. He is not God. He is a created being. But he does know enough, he's been around long enough to know what mankind likes. Mankind likes pleasure. Mankind likes power. Mankind likes possessions, right? For mankind, it's all the same. A desire to be loved, a desire to be known, a desire to have. So what does Satan do? He will strike and attack our minds. He knows our hearts belong to Jesus, but he knows our minds can be dealt with, can be negotiated with. And that's where he'll try to defeat us. One of the the lessons I learned when I was on this journey was when I slow down to pursue God and I start separating myself from the world and I go into the wilderness, the enemy will come and he will negotiate with me. And he did. He would do all he can to convince me, I don't need to be alone with God. I don't need to be here. There's other things I should be doing. Who am I to come out here and other people at home? Why are you pursuing this? You should be pursuing other things in this world. Rex, you could go write a book. Maybe you go speak somewhere. You can go do this. Why are you doing what you're doing? My to-do list, oh, that's so more important than my to-become-like-Christ list. So what must we do? Well, as we pursue God, as we walk in the wilderness, this is what I did. I asked God to fill my mind with truth, with God's word. Over and over, Jesus replied to Satan with what? For the scriptures say. You see, when the tempter and the negotiator comes, we need to know how to respond. And we need to be able to pull God's word out and say, ah, Satan, no, 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 no. Scripture says this. How many of us can do that? When we're questioning who am I to love, can we say, can we say hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Matthew 22, 36, 38 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, why do I know that? Because there's about 16 men in this church that have memorized that verse. And many, many more verses, right? Understand, we need to know God's word. How are we doing and reading and studying and memorizing God's word? Church, listen very carefully. If you don't recognize his voice, you can't obey his voice. If you can't recognize the voice of God and what he's telling you, you'll never be able to obey it. And we need to obey it, right? So every day before I entered the wilderness, I sat down with my pack of verses. That's the first thing I did. Get up in the morning, got myself around, got out my pack of verses, and started going through my verses one at a time. The first day, I actually did it out on the trail. I was hiking and going, and that got a little 
uh, difficult because I was trying to stay focused and what it was God telling me and then I'm tripping over rocks, right? So I changed it up and I was like, go my verses, then open up the Bible, then pull out my journal and start writing what I was learning. That's how it started. Before I head into the wilderness, I better be armored up. I better be ready to listen to the voice of God. And I needed to. Because here's the thing. That has the first part of preparation. Because then the next part of preparation came. Did I have my backpack? Did I have my sunscreen? Did I have my water, the apples, oranges, snacks, cliff bars? Did I have my, my walking stick? Did I have everything ready? Did I have my bucket hat? Okay, block that sun, right? Did I have all my gear? Because what was going to happen then, I'd also have to double check my map, double check the trail. Because I'd get to the trail marker and it would say, hey, here you are. I'm at the right trail. Yep. Oh, by the way, this is rated whatever. Easy, hard, moderate, difficult. This particular one was rated extremely difficult. And so I read it, okay, what do I need to know? And, and again, this is, this is my first rodeo, so I've done stuff like this before. So it's sort of like, okay, am I prepared? I'm ready to go? Yep. There's always things to consider before you hike. Most trails have warnings like this. But it's out west. There are no guardrails. There are no people standing around saying, don't cross that line. Oh, that, uh, if you fall off that edge, it's about a thousand foot drop, so you probably don't want to get that close, okay? There's, it's out west. There's nothing, none of that, okay? Whether it's dehydration, whether it's predators, um, a couple of days when I'm hiking and I'm walking in snow or mud and I see paw prints, not kitty cats or doggies, okay? Um, or I see hooves, you know, and I'm thinking out what animal's on this trail today with me. There's all those kind of things to consider, right? In the same way, spiritually speaking, church, listen to this. The Bible gives us warnings. The Bible gives us preparation for heading out into life. It tells us, hey, this is what ahead. This is what ahead. This is what you need to be cautious of. This is what you need to be prepared for. And we find it out by reading God's word. See, we can become dehydrated spiritually because we are not drinking of the living water, Jesus Christ. We can become susceptible to predators because we venture from the truth of God's word. We can endanger ourselves by seeing how close we can get to the edge of sin. I hear this all the time from young people. Hey, how close can I, you know, how far can I go with my girlfriend or my boyfriend without, you know, getting in trouble with God? That's like saying, let's see, how close can I get to the edge of the Grand Canyon before I fall over? Okay, here's what I would say. (laughs) Get back way over here, okay? That's your safest spot right back here. But without God's word, we venture all the way to the edge until eventually some of us fall off. Taking the wrong trail, missing the markings, pay attention to what seems right. Those are spiritual truths. God's word, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's a way to death. We we like, here's my trail, right? Off to this way, it looks good or looks pretty cool, but it could lead to death. And God's word says, hey, that's the way it is with mankind. We think we know the way. We think we know what we should do. But in the end, it leads to death. God's way is the proper way. GPS, Wednesday night. Did you guys know kids that what it means? It's God's path to success. I don't know if you knew that. I learned something new about that, right? As I hiked, it was super quiet. And And I finally began to hear the voice of this world and the voice of God. And trust me, my mind can go in many different directions as many of you as well, right? Hey, take a shortcut, get to the top. Why take the trail? That looks, seems like it's going to be a lot easier, right? Um, and does this even go to the top of the trail? Because I'm looking at the map, and it doesn't say summit. It just sort of shows trails off this way, but the summit looks over there. Maybe I should go that way. It's amazing how quick we can let our minds go. What was that in the bushes? What did I just hear? Was that an animal? My mind starts going, right? 
We worry. We fear. You know what God's word says about those kind of things? And again, this is where I had to dig myself into God's word as I'm hiking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I wonder if, I wonder if this, take that thought captive. Is that truth? Is that God speaking or is that fear speaking? Another one of my verses that this verse went through my mind a lot, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and self, love and self-discipline. That one went through my mind a lot. I'm thinking, man, I'm a little nervous right now. I'm a little fearful right now. But you know what? That's not from God. God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love. So this will I whisper back to God. God, thank you for walking with me. Thank you for hiking with me today. God, take captive this thought in my mind right now because I really don't like this thought. And then also, it was one of those other things where it's like, you know, I think that's a lie. (laughs) Fear's a liar. You know what's so funny is, you saw Lupe up here at that shirt this morning, Fear's a liar. I don't know if he shared at this service. Second service said, two years ago I wore this shirt and Pastor Rex happened to preach on fear. How incredible is that? He hasn't worn that shirt in for two years. And I'm talking about fear today. I looked at him and I'm thinking, wow. Right? One of his favorite psalms, Psalm 23, says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside the peaceful streams. This was going through my mind as I was hiking. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me, they protect me. And I was thinking about that, and I'm telling you, my first day I didn't have a walking stick, and I really wanted one. And after that first day of, what if I come across something? What am I going to do? Like, hey, stop, you know. Um, And I thought about it. So from then on, every time I was hiking... I don't know what it was. I felt a little bit more peaceful because I had something maybe to help gain my balance to use if I needed. But there was a peace and a comfort I had in, in a rod and staff. And I was thinking Psalm 23. That rod and a staff, they comfort me. This would be one of the greatest lessons that I was going to face on my journey was facing my fears, church. See, when you begin to shut down and go into a wilderness mode, it's like getting off a of medication. You're going to have to face everything that you're facing beforehand. And suddenly you see things and hear things you maybe you didn't hear before. It gets quiet. You've got to deal with you and God. And the noises of this world, technology, schedules, work, sports, so many things that demand our time. You know, I, I believe this. I believe that we leave the TV on, we let the music play, we medicate ourselves, we drug ourselves, we, we get busy, we go buy things, we do all these things. Why? So I don't have to deal with what's going on in my life. Because if I shut off all that stuff, I'm going to have to deal with my problems. I'm going to have to deal with my struggles. I'm going to have to deal with my fears. And if I, but if I keep that stuff on and I keep busy, I won't have to deal with it. I had to deal with this for 10 days of shutting down and letting this fear come and that fear come. And I'm telling you, Fear of letting others down. I've got it. Fear of failing. Fear of not looking good. Fear of missing out. 
fear of what others think. I was not going to wear jeans and hiking boots. I've never worn jeans and hiking boots when I preached. Never. But I thought I'm preaching about my sabbatical. Why not? Well, because somebody might be mad because you didn't dress up. Fear. That's what fear does. Fear whispers into ears and negotiates with you and tells you, you probably shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't do that because you know what other people think. I haven't had talked to us about Jenny and we had a great talk about it. It really helped me through it. But of course, you know, not only was I mentally and spiritually being challenged, I was physically getting challenged. Um, there's a thing called the Devil's Bridge. And basically, um, Patty Krieger, she's like, did you see the Devil's Bridge? And I said, yeah, I hiked out there. She goes, you didn't walk across it, did you? I said, absolutely. And, um, but here's the deal. I, 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 I'll share with you. When I got there and I saw that and all the hiking I've done when I got to the Devil's Bridge, and it's, you know, it's not that wide of a rock that goes across and to your left is, well, death and right death, basically. Uh, long drop, okay? Um, as I'm coming around and I took that picture, my heart started beating. And I got a little dizzy. And I was like, whoa, haven't felt that in a long time. I wonder if it's my age. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just scared. So as I shared with a lot of teams this week, that shark mentality of attack and adapt, um, I just like, you know what? God, you got this. And, you know, just eyes forward, fix my eyes on things ahead, faith, and just, you know, walked out, boom. Oh, this is pretty cool. And then walked back, you know, took pictures, and, you know, got back. And I was like, yes, conquer fear, right? Of course, there's some people that came by and like, hey, can you want to take our pictures? Like, sure, go ahead. And they got to like, whee! I'm like, Please don't do that. I mean, you're scaring me. Seriously? What are you doing? Right? There were other places as I was walking, and this is going down into the Grand Canyon. You can't see the trails too well, but they wind down. They had unexpected snow the night before I got there. Um, it wasn't in the forecast. As I pulled in, they had had some snow, about an inch or two. But on the, those, that particular trail and another one that went down, it was ice for the first 30 minutes. It's like a toboggan trail. So basically, if you get on it, you're off to the canyon, okay? Um, and so I started one trail, and I took two steps. I said, nah. And then I went around another trail, and I got to this one, and I started to go down. And again, it was like, no. Now, that moment, I'd like to say I had a healthy fear of doing a smart thing, right? And some of you would probably agree, right? And some like, no, I want to see a toboggan run. Um, no. There was another thing uh, that took me by surprise. That's a javelina pig. They call it a cactus pig. Um, and, if, and that caught me by surprise on top of another mountain I was hiking because there's low vegetation and it's like there's probably no animal life up here. Snakes, scorpions, and rattles um, and tarantulas was all a little too cold for them yet, so I didn't see them. Um, but the javelina pig took me by surprise. Now, of course, physically, mentally, in my mind, this is what I saw. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to get attacked, Right. So in, in those moments when I'm dealing with my personal fears and also physical fears, okay, in all those moments, here's what I came to at the end of every trail. I'm not alone. God's with me. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, when you get quiet and you find that solitude, you're going to start hearing things and you're going to want to be tempted to say, I'm alone in this. God's not here. And I'm going to tell you, he is. He is. Not every hike was a mountaintop experience. Uh, there was one place called Cathedral Mountain that I was going to hike. And of all the hikes that I really wanted to hit, it was this one because it's cathedral, like church, right? Um, and so it was a bust. 
Um, there was delays. There was a flooded river. There was a washed-out trail, multiple things that went wrong. And I ended up just hiking around at the bottom, and, and I was mad. And I prayed, and I said, God, cool my temper and soften my heart. Because I had a pretty hard heart in that moment. Because I really had something I wanted to do, and I couldn't do it. And I thought about how often does that happen to all of us in life where we got to deal with disappointment in life. And sometimes we just don't get what we want. Not every day is going to be a mountaintop experience. Peter, James, and John, how many mountaintop experiences did they have? Well, they had one major one, right? What about the rest of these disciples? They missed out. And they had another, a lot of other cool moments. Not every day is a mountaintop experience, church. And in those moments when we were in the valley, when we were walking in the darkness, what did I learn? God is with me. I'm not alone, even in those frustrating moments. Last scripture turn to, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I, I want to take you there real quick. Verse 16 is an amazing verse. So we got Goliath, this nine-foot giant that you've heard about. And we got David, this little shepherd boy, this little shepherd boy who loves Jesus, or loves God, and he is basically, as he loves God and he's out taking care of the sheep, he's away from his brothers. Brothers are over here getting ready to fight against the Philistines. Philistines, Israelites. Bring out your giant, you bring out your champion, and let the two champions fight. Whoever wins, that nation succeeds the other nation, and the other nation basically um, surrenders themselves. So here's Goliath, this nine-foot behemoth of a man, comes out every day. Now, verse 17, I'm not gonna, or 16, I'm not going to read it to you, but it says, every morning and every night for 40 days, he came out and basically strutted and talked down on the Israelites. Church, when you hear the first thing in the morning is bad news, it sort of sets the tone for the day, doesn't it? And when you go to bed at night and you hear some horrible news, you can't sleep, can you? What great strategy of the enemy. I'm going to give you something bad in the morning so you can't think all day. I'm going to give you something bad at night so you can't sleep all night. I'm going to do that for 40 days. These Israelites were completely defeated before the battle ever took place. That's the church today sometimes. We've listened to so many lies, so many fears. We've been defeated. We've not even gone to battle yet. Meanwhile, David, who's been in the wilderness with the sheep, he shows up like, hey, guys, how we doing? Hey, brothers. You know, he's like, hey, how's, how's, the, how's the fight going? Meanwhile, Goliath, this nine-foot man, comes out like, I'm bigger than you, I'm better than you, and I'm going to defeat you. And David's like, who's that guy? What? Did you hear what he just said about God? You, anybody going to do anything about this? David, this little 12 or 13-year-old, he was so pumped up and fired up. Like, I can't believe, you know why? He was ready to battle. Because he's been with God in the wilderness. He's not been surrounded by all the negativity and the darkness and sort of, sort of just sort of droned in there and like, hey, I'm sort of going with the flow of everything, right? He came from outside. He's like, whoa, what's going on here? No, no, I'll fight him because the Spirit of God is in me. You heard Brian say a couple weeks ago, this church is like 13 years old. We're the same age as David when he slew a giant. I believe it's time for this church to rise up and start slaying giants, Amen. I guess time we start looking around saying, why, why am I being so weak about this? Why am I being so fearful? No, 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 no. It is Christ who lives in me. It is not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ is victorious, is he not? If he is victorious and he lives in us, should we not be victorious? Yes, we should. But there's so many reasons we have these fears and we start letting the negotiator do all the talking and we forget that God is in charge and we need to trust him. I really want to grow. I really do. And I'm not numerically, but I want to grow as a church. And sometimes we have these fears of, well, if we don't do this, we're not going to grow the church. Maybe we should do a billboard. Maybe we should do promotions. Maybe we should do this, this campaign or whatever. And it's like, you know what we need to do? 
Not fear numbers going down, not fear financial things, not fear this or that. We need to have a healthy fear of who God is. That's how you grow a church. A church that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you're not afraid to bow your head and say, I'm not even worthy to look up at the throne because God is so awesome and holy. That's the kind of fear we need to have. Deuteronomy 8, 6 says, So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, First Chronicles says. Psalm 36, 1 says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God. Listen, I faced fear on my journey. Fear of animals, fear of the trails, of dangers on the trails, loose rocks, ice, whatever, heights, getting lost, missing something at home, situations at home. I faced a lot of fear on my trip, and really I believe that's what it was all about. And I think what God says, these all these fears that I want you to face, I want you to start dealing with them, but I want you to fear me more than anything because I am a holy God. Trust my presence. Trust my goodness. Trust my majestic provisions that I have. Behold my glory. And as I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon Church, it is not just a hole in the ground, okay? I don't know, I've heard that said before, and I probably said it myself. It is a picture. It is a promise. It is powerful to say, God did that. And when you stand there, and you're just like in awe, and it's like, he is majestic. You know, one final thing I learned about this, uh, this journey is that relationships matter. As I began to hike one morning, I chose a location um, where I knew there'd be a few more hikers than normal. And uh, I soon met a couple coming off the trail. And uh, the trail was pretty wide. It was wide enough that you can be walking side by side. But here comes this gentleman and his wife is about 10 feet behind him. And I'm like, good morning. And he's like, hmm. And she's like, hi. You know, that's usually the way it works. Um, the guys are grumpy and the women are like, I'm exercising today. Um, then a the, then the, couple minutes later, there's another couple. Again, guys in front. The wife is like 10 feet back. I'm thinking, okay. Seriously, three, four minutes later, same thing again. I'm thinking, is this the divorce trail? Is this the I don't like my wife trail? Is this the I'm the husband, I'm in, in charge, so I will take 10 feet in front of you? I'm like, what trail am I on, right? And, I, and, I was, I just, and then it hit me. I'm sitting there thinking about, that's not the way to lead, man. As we lead our wives, we love them as Christ loved the church. And we walk with them, right? And then, then it took me back to a couple of days before. I'm sitting at the top of Bear Mountain. And you can't see, but way off in the distance is the parking lot where I was at. But as I was sitting there and I got to this one, this was one of my favorite ones. I was the only one up there by myself. There was couples, a couple guys, three people, and then this elderly couple. I was the only single up there, okay? And I remember this elderly couple, and I think they were in their, I'm going to say mid to late 70s, early 80s maybe. And, and I will never forget the words of this man. He's like, honey, I'm so glad we did this together. I'm so glad we did this together, honey. And it's not in my heart because I wanted Jenny there too. Because I'm saying, oh, that is so cool. That is so, that's the way you do it. You journey through life together. And then you look at each other and you say, I'm glad we did this together. And I understand. So for married couples, I would say, journey together. And if you're not married, if you're single, journey with other people. Do not do this journey alone in life. 
you know, like I said, I learned a great deal. I maximized my step count. I went from about 10, 12,000 a day to about 40,000 a day. Uh, that was a few more steps than normal. But at the same time, it was relaxing for me, incredibly relaxing and eye-opening. And I learned a lot about fear. And I learned about the presence of God. Worship team, I asked them to come forward and I appreciate them. Let me ramble here for the last few minutes. Church, I want to I challenge you with something. I had to ask this question every day. What do I fear and do I trust God? Now listen very carefully as they're coming up here. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 where Jesus stopped a funeral procession. They were, they were taking this body to be buried and Jesus like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? Funeral procession. Uh, not today. Get up. And a dead person came to life. And then right after that, Jesus healed some sick people and some lepers. And it was like, the power of Jesus was incredible, right? And then he gets into a boat with his disciples and they start going across the lake. And Jesus falls asleep. And then this big storm comes. And the storm starts pounding and everything. And the disciples are like, we're going to die. We are, we are going to die. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's sleeping. Doesn't he care? That was their first thought, right? But it wasn't just a thought. It came out of their lips. They woke him up. And another account of this parallel account in Mark 4 says, they said to Jesus, don't you care? How many times have we done that with Jesus? We're like, don't you care what's going on in my life? Don't you see the storms that I'm going through, the dark times in my life? Don't you care, God, that my spouse or my kid or my life, and we just sort of toss that at God? And, and, and Jesus is like, <laughs> he didn't even answer that question. You know what he did? Like he's talking to a person, he looked at the storm and said, peace, be still. Boom. And it got quiet. The storm was gone. And the disciples looked at each other like, who is this man? I think that's a question we all got to ask. Who is Jesus, the Son of God? Who is this God that we worship and come on Sunday and sing songs to? He is a God who can calm your storms. He is a God who wants to speak to you in silence at times. But we got to learn to get quiet. Separate ourselves from the world. Get quiet. Find some solitude. I, I understand that not everybody can, you know, just take off for 10 days and go do this. But you can do this in your basement. You can go in your backyard. You can shut down things. Turn off things. Get quiet with God. Let him speak to you. Ask him, who are you, God? Do you care? Let him respond. Give him time to respond. He will. Be quiet. He will. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. Lord, I thank you for this morning in which we've gathered to worship you. And Lord, I thank you for this, this time. And Lord, I can just sort of share what's going on in my life. But there's so many lessons to be learned. But God, the lesson we need, I pray most, is as we face these fears in life, we're not alone. You are here. And we need to stop and, and maybe, you know, be real with you and say, God, do you really care? And then we just need to be quiet long enough for us to be able to hear your voice, because I know your voice will say, yes, I care. Look around. See what I can do. And we just got to trust you. So God, I thank you for this time when we can worship in truth and scripture and prayer and song. So God, as we leave this place, Lord, help us to celebrate that you are here. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.